Over the past few years, we've leveraged Vistaprint services to help us on our mission to inspire entrepreneurs of color. They've helped us print stickers, t-shirts, totes, mugs, and even snapback hats. Yes, they print just about everything. My point is, they print a lot more than just business cards. So as you look for ways to help your small business stand out, think Vistaprint. And right now, new customers like you can get 20% off your next order over $75 or more plus free standard shipping. Just use the code CLAIMASTORIES at checkout. I see black people like looking and engaging more with design right now. A lot of it is entrepreneurship, digital entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Like you YouTube page, you gotta kinda like kinda want your stuff to look good. Um, TikTok, you kinda wanna have your stuff set up right. So I really like where it's going. Mm -hmm. Sean Brown, uh, designer uh, out of Toronto, just a lot of people that are like designing furniture. A lot of people doing really dope. Uh, Shannon Maldonado out of Philly. Like there's a a lot of pockets of things that, like you're right, there's a lot popping up. There's something happening. So I'm excited to see what comes of that. I'm Bima, and on today's episode, we talk to Gerald Cooper of Hood Century Modern. Growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, the son of working-class parents, Gerald immersed himself in the community and wanted to tell stories. From changing the subject of his thesis from St. Augustine to Malefiasanti and Afrocentricity, to seeing the value of the Black community, to sneaker culture, to opening a sneaker store in his city. From that and people who knew in the community, He'd start booking parties for everyone from a young Kevin Hart, before he became The Rock's best friend, to Snoop and Jay-Z's engineer, Young Guru, to preserving the beauty of architecture in Black communities. Gerald Coop Cooper is hungry and has a vision. When I think about Cincinnati, I always throw my, my father just comes into my mind. Uh, my, my dad was born in 1937. Wow. In Cincinnati, in the West End of Cincinnati, which um, by 19, like 17, was considered like one of the worst slums yeah. to live to live in, and uh, and so my dad like showed me around a lot, almost like I was a tourist. <laughs> I was really good. And so he, I remember him and what he would show me. He would always take the back streets. Um, he was it was crazy because he was born before. Uh, the West End got split up by this major highway, which is uh, I-75, which is one of the more used highways in the United States. Mm-hmm. So he would never take the highway. He was just like, yo, he was always on the back streets. Huh. And so I got to learn the city you in a, really, got in to a learn really city. interesting way. He was yeah. like, nah, we're going to go through the city. I'm not in a rush. Yeah, so yeah. the back streets of Cincinnati is what I think about when I roll around with my dad is what I think about when I think about Cincinnati. Mm. Yeah. What do you recall seeing on those back streets? Man, so it's crazy. I grew up in, I'm an 80s baby. Yeah. So the 70s was right there. Yeah, yeah. Right? The 70s was like a decade right, right before. Yeah, yeah. So I remember the 70s. Huh. Right? I remember uh, the colors of the 70s, those browns, the leather, the faux leather. Yeah. 
a lot of fading, a lot of like faded glory energy of that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yo, that used to be popular. Like, it used tell. to be, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, Cincinnati is a very industrious town. Um, and where the black folks lives is very industrious. And so, I, you know, I have fond memories of that. Fond memories of like beer, uh, the smell of like beer being made hmm. um, because it has a, a rich history of beer. So, a lot of smells and a lot of like, Things like that I used to touch because I used to walk by. I wanted them kids used to walk by. Oh, you like wanted them kids touching everything, yeah. putting your, your nose in the flowers, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I, yeah, all that. And He's so, exploring. <laughs> yeah, so it was. It's crazy because I haven't been living at home. Mm-hmm. Like I, I jetted just like all the other Different. kids. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And um, so being back home right now really, really is nostalgic within itself. Mm-hmm. What brought you back? The pandemic. I was actually just coming back to chill out. Yeah. Um, I had just moved out of my space in October of 19. I moved out of uh, a house in Los Angeles. Okay. And I was going back uh, between Los Angeles and London. And I kind of hung out in Atlanta with my brother, hung out in Cincinnati. January, I was I took a trip to L.A. to like look for a spot and uh, dabbling for a couple of months, trying to figure out like where I was yeah, going. Yeah. Pandemic hit early March yeah. of 2020. And on March 6th, two of my cousins got murdered in Cincinnati on the same day in separate shootings. Wow. Which is just like some wild hood phenomenon, you know yeah. what I mean? And I was like, yo, I'm needed at the crib. Hmm. And I'm 39 now, so I've been, last 15 years, 13 years, I'm in the streets in London, New York, and L.A. So yeah. luckily, I feel like I could get it popping from here. Right, right. I didn't know what I was, what, what what was going to do. do. Yeah. March 6th is just stuck in my mind as like this moment where I was like, no, nah, I need to be at the crib. Yeah. I, I It's, it's kind of wild to see all of the great people. A lot of them, my friends would be like, yeah, we for the community. But I'm like, bro, you don't live at the, you don't live <laughs> at the crib. You don't be at the crib. You don't be there. And although I think it's really great for people from towns to see like, yo, that's bro cousin. He, he doing the big doing at Nike. He doing the big at places. I want to be able to be at home. Hmm. I want to be able to be in Cincinnati. I think it's important, you know, and it, it was interesting, like um, a friend of mine, she checked mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. It was because I had, I've been gone from home 10 years in July and mm-hmm. I left to pursue my passion. At the time I was working in the sneaker industry, so I left to go to Boston to do that. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm happy for you and what you're doing, but you got a lot of information now mm-hmm. and we don't have none of that information mm-hmm. and it made it back. Mm-hmm. And it was like the first time I actually stopped and realized, I was like, oh, I hadn't sent none of this information back. Mm. And so when you talk about, you know, being back home, I'm like, yeah. And so for me, it was like, that's partially why we're sitting here having this interview now. Is like, I was like, okay, well, I, I'm not in a place where I want to move back physically. But how how I can share I share information okay. Okay. back, right? Because yeah. I do feel like that's my duty. And I do feel like that's my way of service, yeah. you know, because... They're kids that I grew up with, people, my peers, right. you know, they looking yeah. and they're like, bro, yeah. give they me something it. more than they just, they you know, it. some pictures. <laughs> and it's getting bad, man. It's getting bad in, in these cities. I mean, it's been bad, but some of the statistics are just daunting for black males, black families, black women, who, you know, both giving birth and just living yeah. um, without males. What are we on, like our second or third generation without men in the house? I think so. That's the new nucleus of a family, and that's terrifying. Yeah. But being home is difficult, right? Like, you know, the industry that I'm in is not there, mm. whether it be creative, mm-hmm. research, 
um, or any of the other verticals that I dabble in, it's just not there. So sometimes it's frustrating. Yeah. Because um, you can't get access to information maybe you, as easily as you would right. when you're in London or in LA. Or it doesn't exist. Or it doesn't I, it doesn't exist. I, went to, I shot Glorilla and I'm not a photographer. So sometimes people ask me to shoot though because they like like, the, like yeah, what I'm seeing. Yeah. And so I went to go shoot up. I'm like, yo, I need a photography assistant. Like, I need somebody mm -hmm. to really like walk me through yeah. this. And a lot of the brothers and sisters who shoot in Cincinnati, in small towns, they don't know necessarily about the industry of photography. They understand photography as a creative pursuit. Right. And in my system now, you got Procter & Gamble, yep. you have Scripps Howard who created the Food Networks. You have like places where you could actually be a photography assistant, the movie industry is big, or work within these production realms. And a lot of us don't know about those realms. Mm. There's not a black owned studio in the city, so on and so forth. Yep. I thought being there would be, like once the pandemic kept going, and then I turned back around and I did a lot of like go within spiritual work. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm gonna post up here. Yeah. I'm post up in the natty and see if I can direct see it from direct there. And, help. and so far, so good. No, nah, I think it's dope, man. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the the family side of things, right? So like your mom, you know, mm -hmm. worked for the city transportation agency as an mm -hmm. administrator, right? Mm -hmm. In the, the handicap division. Mm -hmm. And then your dad, he worked at the state mental health institution as an right. activities director, right? Mm -hmm. What's interesting about that is both of them worked in areas of accessibility for people with barriers. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how that theme started to resonate with you. And did you like recognize you kind of picked up on that? It's funny because I just <laughs> pick up on <laughs> I don't know things through asking these questions. I'll pick up. Like, oh, so that's so even with them two. Yeah. They didn't really kind of make that make that connection. I, it would be dope if I came over here like, yeah, my parents been that. Yeah. But they were. It seemed like to me they were doing what they needed to do to get s stability in their lives. Mm. And so remember back in the day, working for the state or the city yep. was a, one of the most one of the most ways you stable get, yeah, places, yeah, yeah. right? And, and have so, a job for years, have a pension or retirement, all that stuff. Hundred percent. So. I feel like that's the way they both did it as I would question them about it when I started to put it together. But then when I did put it together, and you know, I was basically, I had lost my hearing when I was, we don't know when I lost it, but we had found out when I was from between three to, to like nine, I basically had to get my hearing in my left ear back. Wow. And so I had to go speech therapy. I had a tutor all the way through undergrad mm. at school. So that was one thing that I that I noticed. Like my mom was very well. I don't want to say well versed, but she understood that like there's some people who are le learning different and special. Yeah. So that's one thing I remember. My mom always it not being foreign to her that she needed to you know get with me yeah, on that. Sure. But also this other thing about being around people with um, mental handicap or these handicaps or mm -hmm. different ways that they learn is how you're able to, I don't know, like how, the way I one-to-one -one with people is different yeah. because when you one-to-one -one with somebody with severe autism, when you one-to-one, -one, like we were going, basically my dad was the, was the guy at the hospital that would plan the activities. Hmm. So anywhere from kickball to going to see a Cincinnati Reds baseball game. Oh, that's dope. So me and my brother, uh, shout out to Jamie, me and, me and his first baseball games or football games were with uh, people from the mental health hospital. Yeah. So we in that you one band, like, it. Yeah, yeah, we and we just, it was so much fun. We were kids, and sometimes in some of these diseases, you see that kid get trapped into an adult's body, and so a lot of the times, really fun. But it, I don't know, it, it made I feel like it made me a more well-rounded human being mm. uh, because of their professions mm -hmm. uh, and what they did. Once I was able to realize it, you know. Right, right. How do you think that carries on today? 
I feel like I consider, like I'm a, people call me an artist, a creator. They don't know I'm a mirror. Huh. Hmm. I'm just a mirror. Yeah. I just care more about people than, than all of this other things. stuff. Any industry, yeah. any trend. I think people are very, very, very interesting. And so I really feel like they're people caring mm -hmm. for what they did for a living. They were always considering people who maybe couldn't do the access. Um, my mom's like public transportation for handicapped folks was one of the first in the nation here oh, in, wow. over in Cincinnati. Okay. I'm just like, but it was in like the late 80s, 90s. I'm like, so you're telling me people with <laughs> mental health issues or whatever that couldn't really get on that bus or couldn't yep. get it, had to... Had to figure out some... Or probably couldn't get on. Or nah, they had to get rides. Yeah. And so that learning about that in the 90s was really... It really stuck with me. So I really feel like it's made me more of a people's person. Mm -hmm. I can instantly... Like, I meet you and I can read you and I can instantly be like, all right, this person answers slow. I'm going to give them space. This person, like, I don't know. It's just made me better with people. Yeah. Now, pivoting in a little bit, but we were studying a little bit in your sophomore year in college, right? Mm -hmm. That's when you first encountered or was introduced to Afrocentricity, right? Yeah, Malefia Shanti. How did that expose you to sort of purpose kind of within your own life? Like, Bro, that was it. Because mm -hmm. I'm a football, basketball, sports kid, grow, grow up. My brother was an All-American basketball, football <laughs> player. I'm 18 months younger. Yeah. It, that was my. That was our That's life. That's what you. Yeah, that was the lens you were looking at. Yeah, right, sports, right. travel, sports, basketball, football, all that, and getting out of high school, knowing that I didn't have the grades and maybe even the ability to go D one with my bro and doing all of that. I was, I, you know, early forms of depression. I think. Yeah, because you had probably associated your way out, who you are, your with whole sport. identity around sport. sport. So, freshman year, about to get kicked out because of grades. Mm. Go to this small school in Cincinnati. They actually had a special learning program, so I went there, but still was just like, wasn't going to class, wasn't doing nothing. Communications, I knew, like, was my space. It was broad enough. Yeah. Communication studies was broad enough, so I'm like, I'm going to go there. And then the first class, they like, everybody pick out of their names of the hats who they want to focus on for the next couple of years. I said, what? A couple of years. I said, a couple of years. I said, all right, cool. There better be some cold names in here. <laughs> I picked St. Augustine. Hmm. And I was hot, bro. I was like, <laughs> I was like, and this is before, this ain't nothing. Yeah. Wasn't nobody doing none of the, you know, yeah. no lies matter and nothing. Like, like <laughs> this is early 2000s, and it was like, I think I during the class, I was like, nah. Hmm. Like, first of all, I don't even really rock with Catholicism. Hmm. Like, so what else could we do? And then she put me to the side, like, you can research somebody in. So here I am hearing Common and Kwali. Afrocentricity. And I'm like, well, that's well, hot. Yeah, I used to write mean? it down. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. I just used to write Afrocentricity. And then it got so cold that I ended up sophomore year, like, she was like, yo, you can do Malefia Shanti and his term of Afrocentricity for your thesis or whatever. Hmm. And that's when I was like, it's on. It's on. And this is like, my mom and dad, like, they didn't go to college. My mom went one year and dropped out. Like, I didn't have, like, the big intellectual there black wasn't, family yeah, there was, And there wasn't a push for you stuff. to, like, yeah. you know, explore that stuff. Right? Nah, so that was, like, when I had got on Afrocentricity, I was like, all right, we, it's cooked. Like, I'm about to do that. Mm -hmm. I ended up having a great phone call mm -hmm. with, so it's crazy. I had two phone calls with Melissa Yashanti. Never well, on had... the phone. So I called him. 
always on voicemails because we kept missing each other. Wait, that's hilarious. So y'all would so trade the first, messages through voicemails? So the, first, so the first time I sent the voicemail, I made sure that I put everything there. Of course. And he replied, it's so crazy, da 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 And then he started talking about it, and he was like, yeah, but just call me. So then when I called him back, I missed him, but then he left like a... This is when your voicemail became digital after yeah. the first time, so yeah, you basically time, so can, you can see it and you can like read it. So, bro, it. he sends me this whole like a 20-minute long voicemail on my college dorm voicemail joint when I got there, and then I sent him a whole 20, and then we emailed back and forth. Wow. And think about a culture or a movement being centered around Africa as a continent, mm. also the beginning of man. Mm-hmm. I was like, yo, that sounds foolproof. I feel like everybody should be everybody on that. Why we on that? Why we ain't on that? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, it was early, right? So I remember it. I did this whole thesis. And the thesis is actually kind of crazy because it was around how we communicate. And it's crazy that that's become a lot of what I'm working through now, language. Oh, yeah. So I was going to ask you about that. I was like, when you say communicate, you mean language and how we communicate maybe differently. Mm -hmm. And sometimes how that's not... Um, yeah, it's like, accepted or recognized. Yeah. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. It's like, bro, we can't keep moving and, and thinking that we got to throw ourselves away every time we step into a And door. we got to switch to somebody else's language. And, to, then, to... and then they start pulling it out of us because they're using it. Mm -hmm. So here we go as somebody else, but they they like, yo, we need you as you because we actually... Cause so we can sell it to back to you. <laughs> man, me and you were talking um, last night about just the influence and we didn't make this connection, but the influence that uh, hip-hop culture has now, mm -hmm. which throw the music away if you don't like it, you know what I mean? Just think about the overall the artsy influence, influence that, that it has right now. Yeah. It's a pocket. But then you, when you think about the influence that the continent had, mm -hmm. and has, but had in the seminal and the Romanesque movements and the Art Nouveau movement. And if you look at Art Nouveau as an art thing, and you look at some of these spirals, and, some of the, and then you look at black women, during that same time in the West African countries where those mm. people came from, came from yep. it's just dumb easy to see the influence. Yeah. And I'm over I'm not going to be mad they try to cover it up. Mm -mm. I'm not, because that's, that, that's a lot of emotion. Yeah, I, that's a lot of, to carry around. That's a lot of that's energy. a lot of energy. <laughs> and that's a lot of things that a lot of people are using to start the conversation is anger. And mm -hmm. we all know healing, you got to put that somewhere place so you, so you can have a one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. And then knowing, though, yeah. Knowing that the Being world aware. centric mathematics and all these things, knowing that we're on a Georgian calendar and not the big calendar yeah. that everybody thinks it is. Like, yeah. this is a Roman Catholic calendar, bro. And it's okay. It's not, it's okay. It's not theory or, or it's not, it's just okay to, if you know it and decide, hey, this, that's not my Christmas, I'm gonna celebrate this, or this is not my New Year. But the Afrocentricity and Malefia Shanti really, really put me, gave me my first purpose, essentially. Now, tell me how you. Right, you get grounded in that, you get soaked up in that, and it's beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you write this beautiful thesis. So how you go from that, it's a, a sneaker business. Yo. <laughs> so first, so, so okay, so here I am sitting in African-American. <laughs> Let's take a step back, because I got to shout out yeah. Montessori Schooling. Yeah. Right, right, right. So you went to Montessori Schooling, right? And it's, so I went to it's way more hands-on. So I went to Montessori from kindergarten to eighth grade. And they had just started a high school, first public high school. So Cincinnati has the Montessori, like all the Montessori people, I don't know what happened in the 60s, they came to the natty. Yeah. 
and went to Xavier University. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Montessori program for the United States is at Xavier University. I'm just finding this out too. Oh. And so they actually started public school Montessori. It was free. Because, you know, Montessori... Public Montessori. Yeah, like Montessori, Montessori is usually, like, it's taxing you. It's yeah, private. It's private. It taxes you a lot. Yeah. So in Cincinnati, they just started a public one. So public school kids, black kids, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, my mom, my mom, hood. She'll tell you. Her and her sisters, they from the hood. <laughs> so she was like, yo, we was just standing out there, like, it sound nice. Like, it sound different. It sound different. It sound like a different way of learning. Hmm. But, B, this was what... Montessori is what superpowered me. Hmm. I learned different. Right? Um, we can call, this is funny, but we can call our teachers by their first name. You can. And what that did with adult is what I think everybody's trying to do now no. with kids and adult, where it's like, let the kid have an opinion. Right. Because you create so much of a space where it makes it feel like an adult's not approachable to have a conversation with, right? It feels more like a uh, authoritarian like right, figure yeah. that you can't be. You can understand if it's me, you, and my teacher, Brent, I remember him. If I'm talking to you, I'm like, Brent, chime in on this. <laughs> I'm be like, bro, you talking to your teacher like that? Like, they did peer mediations. Mm. So you couldn't talk to the teacher when you had beef with somebody at the class. Mm. You had to talk with another student that, that was not involved with it. <laughs> That's not one of y'all friends. Mm-hmm. They called it peer mediation. Mm-hmm. The chairs were optional. So a lot of times people, keep, they see me, I call walking in the space, and I, be, I choose the floor. And they be like, bro, you want some hippie shit? Bro, I'm not a hippie. Hmm. The floor is an option to sit the on. The floor is an option, so I sat there. And so it was just a lot of, like, decolonization. So for, for real, we got to listen to music during class, <laughs> all as one class. Yeah. Uh, healing really felt dope. So what happened was we would go into the class, our first class and our last class, kind of like homeroom in high school, where <laughs> when you go into a Montessori class, when you go in there from, like, your, I guess it would be your home class, mm-hmm. And then your last class, no talking for 30, 40 minutes. And what I thought was ridiculous when I was a kid, now that I think about it, it's like, that's meditation. Mm-hmm. The teacher is there journaling for the day. So they have to journal. Oh. They have, the teachers have to journal. because. So I was like, oh, the teacher basically can see a student that's come in today and they different from yesterday mm-hmm. or they different from their other days. Mm-hmm. And it's just because that 30, first 30 minutes or the last 30 minutes, you really get to be with kids hmm. spiritually. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, this kid can't stop moving. What's going on? What's they going usually, on? Yeah. And now you could actually, during the day, pull them to the side like, bro. How you doing? You good? Hmm. So I got to give it to Montessori. Diddy went there. Steven Spielberg is from the Natty. He went to Montessori. Hmm. Uh, I look at that being the thing. So here I am going, I go to school for years, and I'm like, all right, Malefia Shanti done put this in me that, you know, this Afrocentricity. So I'm like, all right. And shout out to Matt from corporate. Because um, <laughs> Matt and one of our guys, Phil, in the city, the sneaker stuff. I don't know if you remember um, Just for Kicks, the documentary yeah, came out. Like during that, Kicks. Yeah. during that era. It was like the second era to the, 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 like the sneaker rush. The sneaker yeah. rush, and then it was the second one where we came in and well, kind of yep. got digitized. So it was just everything to me, man. And I couldn't imagine having a job. Hmm. And I couldn't imagine working for the white man. Hmm. Um, those are two things I thought about. And I was, What was the thing about the job for you? What was the... Travel. Opposition. I needed to travel. Hmm. I needed to figure out how to get it and see the world. Hmm. At 19, I'm like, 
bro, I gotta, cause I was going to New York from 17, I have family in New York, okay. so I was uh, interning and then just going every summer to Which New York. Which is dope, from you were getting able to get outside of Cincinnati, get some exactly. exposure, be some different exactly. people, your worldview yep. expand, especially yep. in And Montessori helped with that too, because at the end of every quarter or cycle, we would go on the trip. Okay. Whether it was like upstate across town or you know the islands or whatever to do some community work. And so I couldn't figure out, like, I wanted to work. Actually, shout out to um, Gentry Humphrey. I came up here just post-college. I went out to Portland. It was crazy. Yeah. I had got a kid because um, Jordan, Brand Jordan has a really interesting relationship with Cincinnati. With Cincinnati. Because yes. of uh, University of Cincinnati basketball yes. team. Shout out to Bob Huggins. Shout yeah. out to that whole, that, <laughs> that shook the earth of the world. It's crazy. So I ended up getting a connect with them to just come out here and do, like, a little interview. And... I just, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I can't get a job. And so what I did was I went to the radio station mm -hmm. and I worked there for about six months, the radio station um, in the city as sales. And I was like, that's just me selling as, a, as an yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah. So I just gathered a couple of chips. I did an art show um, around sneakers called Sneaker Souffle or Nike <laughs> Souffle, some funny yeah. early 2000s corny. Yet. I, <laughs> I erased it out of my memory. <laughs> and some dude came in and was like, bro, if you really own it, Cincinnati ain't got no sneaker stores. What you trying to do? And I like, at that time, I loved Flight Club. Yeah, I mean, Flight Club had everything. That was it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do my own Flight Club here. And so I did it for like a year or two. I kept spending my money that I was making. I wasn't reinvesting nothing. And so after two years, I closed up shop. But at the, by that time, I just knew so many people and had yeah, so many great so much, interactions so with it. Yeah. Um, it was in the Ludlow Garage in Cincinnati and Clifton, RIP to there. And that's how I started my journey. I met Michael B. Jordan and Kevin Hart literally during that. And they're both family friends, wow. randomly. Yeah. Like my best friend I grew up with, her and Michael were best friends. And then Kay Hart, uh, him and my brother had met. And he was like, my brother was like, bro, if you want sneakers, holler at my brother. So all of a sudden one day, and this is Kevin Hart where yeah. people thinking he about to flop because of the slow, right, slow right, trade. Right, like this right. is not the Kevin they Hart did, we They didn't realize Kevin had a whole plan. They, this, this is not that Kevin Hart. This is OA Kevin Hart where you're like, who? Yeah. And so my entertainment stuff actually started with Kevin Hart because, and it's crazy to say this because now it sounds like industry plant energy, but this is from Cincinnati. Yeah. And Kay was like, look, I have all of these shows. This is his Chitlin Circuit starting to blow up. So he's selling out he's every selling, night. Yeah, he's he's selling out three shows on Sunday, four shows on Sunday. He like, my only thing is that I'm leaving a lot of money on the table for my after parties. And so I basically started booking Kevin Hart's after parties. Huh. And then I was just killing it so much that they introduced me to Snoop's people. Hmm. And so I started doing, started Snoop's doing Snoop with, um, with his DJ. And then that got me to Young Guru, where Guru was basically just engineering for Jay, mm. for Hove. And then DJ Neil Armstrong. I don't know if you remember DJ Neil Armstrong. I remember Armstrong. So I was booking for him because he was with Jay yeah. at the time. I cold called him like, look. I be booking the after parties for people. This is how I started. This is how you got it. Yeah. This is like 22, 23. <laughs> I'm like, yo, I could book you anywhere around the world. Yeah, what's up? And then, yeah, man, I, I basically just hit up Young Guru because I heard Young Guru is going to be the next like DJ. So I, this happened, that happened. And I basically like, Guru, he's like, look, bro. He was like, look, just show and prove. <laughs> and so I went, I went ham. But one crazy thing about Montessori that I must mention is, that turned me out is that we basically made passports. So think about arts and crafts. Yeah. Shouts out to the arts and crafts uh, university that used to be here too, by the way. Oh, yeah. It's like, how do you teach a kid about 
um, travel in and about other countries. So they made us do, they allowed us to do like passports where they had like the paper, mm-hmm. whatever you made, like the exact size. And then every country, you could pick your own countries. But in order to like get a stamp, mm-hmm. you had to know the currency, the religion, the climate, yeah. the language, you know, and all of that. So You had to really bro, know about it. Do you understand what that did to a kid? It made you want to go visit. It made you want to learn, made you want to explore. Has to, right? Yeah, like that was it. I was nine years old. My parents didn't even have a passport, so I had never even physically. Like, our teacher came in with her passport, bruh. <laughs> so she came in with it, I can remember it now. It had all these stamps and stuff and these stickers. And then she was like, y'all get to make one. I was like, what? And even at the end of the class, after you make it, the thing for the end of the class, visualization. Hmm. Visualize you there. You there, yeah. And that's still one of my biggest practices right now. Really? Well, I use visualization like people use chewing gum. How do you feel like it helps you? You can see it, man. Mm -hmm. You can see this world. Isn't it crazy? Like, if I ask you to close your eyes. All right. All right, right now I want you to visualize just outside of the door in this uh, studio where you parked your car. Mm -hmm. Right? You can see it, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Like, open your eyes, bro. How are we not doing that more? Because then if I ask you to put, like, a red monster in there, you literally, you your mind will put a red monster. Whatever it is, yeah. So there's a whole other world that we can be tapped into, and I just utilize that, and I feel like Montessori and, and maybe just whatever I was born with allows me to do it. So I do visualization a lot with people who may be new. Mm. Um, my assistant, Blessing, she, I'm asking her to do things that are just new. Or I'm asking her to be things that she wants to be now. Now. Hmm. And a lot of times, I have to ask her to see it, and then I just take that moment, like, and she sees it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Like, especially thinking about visualization. A lot of people are like, I don't know if we've actually talked about visualization on this podcast before. Oh, we've got to talk about a lot of stuff. <laughs> about. I'm a very, I love spirit world. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's this world. Yeah. It's a white man's world. Hmm. But I love spirit world. Hmm. And spirit world, you know, people like are harnessed on decolonization. Decolonization is just the thought process of it is so actually gnarly that I think it could be intimidating to people. Yeah. People call it pedantic where you like decolonizing means you got to look at every, every single, single thing, thing you do. Yeah. I think visualization has helped me like with that blow of like man I gotta actually change it all up Mm. and so but visualization is a great tool Um, and I can't believe that people haven't talked about um, some of the substances they use like weed and shrooms I just can't figure out why creators haven't talked about that do you think it's also a part of it is like societal feeling like they might be shame and also they're under corporate contracts under contracts and also the bag yeah, I just want to let everybody know that's a creative that may utilize healthy. And I like the word healthy around the substances because if you take too many shrooms, you're going to get cooked. But I want to empower people to talk about them more and just, you know, publicly, because I really feel like that actually helps with the stigma. Hmm. And these cities are already legalizing the thing. So hopefully that there'll be steps to take in where you being a, a outcast now yeah. will make you a leader. leader at some point because the I call it native technology. Hmm. Hmm. That's a nice I got I got different you names. You got terms for everything. Yes, I do. Like <laughs> native technology is cold. Like can you imagine the native world seeing flying cars? 
Like when you was in the native world, there wasn't even Any actual cars. cars. They seen flying cars. They didn't <laughs> have like right. Like I think of yeah. them always as having minds that were like going the other way and not yeah. to the future. Yeah. But you know as how Philosophin and like we like they help you go and visualize mm -hmm. other and worlds imagine and, things and, that you wouldn't always naturally do. I think naturally with the society and the natural, it actually makes it quite hard mm. to visualize what could be or what was. Mm. Just because of the way a lot of conversations are and the way people think and the way they talk and the hustle and bustle, like it probably limits your ability in the space to be able to do that. Exactly. I even then use terms now, visualization terms, like what do you see? So if I so if I on the phone and I'm I'm like, what are you hearing? Or what do you see? <laughs> Basically it's a response it's of a like, response. tell me what you tell me what you see. Yeah. That's pretty dope. Take me back a little bit or take me into a little bit on the music side and the time with, with Guru. I'm curious to know, obviously you have that love for that time and hip-hop likely. Mm -hmm. What do you think about hip-hop today? And wow. like the current state of the culture? So it was always great because I had one foot in hip-hop. Jay, um, Young Guru only reported to Jay-Z. He didn't report to a lot of people. And so that was dope because I didn't have to work with the industry. Mm. I thought the industry to be... <sighs> Yeah, I feel like the, the music industry, and this is is shade, but you know, come see me, <laughs> come see me. Um, the music industry reminds me of the um, police, <laughs> the people who didn't, yep. they go there. Yep. So the police who like they was getting bullied, so now they put police. The people who wasn't fly enough to make music, or like do X Y Z, they they in the labels. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? And it's corny, <laughs> and they're corny. And we haven't been able to police ourselves. And so I was, I was chatting with y'all. I was like, we're the most influential culture and we have no idea what it's influencing. Yeah. And that's no other culture exists. Like, like yeah. you're not about to see Nike exist all that whole time and not know how they influence. And I just feel bad about it because there are correlations between Chief Keith and Chicago violence. Mm. And not, I'm not going to lay it on... Mm -hmm. um, him, well, I mean, yeah. that would be weird, yeah. but what he was a system of and a part of actually was happening. Then he had a microphone to spread it, and now you see kids that don't live that lifestyle yeah. actually taking it to that next level and making it a global, massive thing. Yeah. And now it's a little bit like WWF or E, you know what I mean? Where it's like when you hear um, Gunna and them talk about, oh, no, like, I was playing. I was like, that wasn't real. But then in the same conversation to everybody that they talking to, it's real. Yeah. Like, I ain't capping. But you just told the judge you kept which one? Mm. And I know you gotta tell the judge whatever, but gonna also see you in Paris. You ain't got no cases on you. Mm. That means maybe you wasn't really up, right? So <sighs> hip hop is my my main. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a part of my my everything. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that. I want to stand it up sometimes and be like, yo, what's good, bruh? Yeah, you're like, I appreciate it. I just also care about it. And I want to I I see us. You, you, you can't know, tell me that better. the perception of black women, where's the perception of, what's the highest perception of black women come from? You got movies and television, you got hip hop. Hmm. You don't see black women being talked about other than those two things, right? Hmm. The movies join... I don't think it has been more powerful in the degrading nature mm -hmm. of black women like hip hop. Mm. I feel comfortable here. 
hip hop is one of the only places where you have gay or homosexual or fluid people mm -hmm. still just talking about women in their bars. Like, bro, you don't even date women. Yeah. That's how crazy it is. That's pretty crazy. I don't like it. And the response from women naturally is just to say, like, to keep the same energy, mm -hmm. which is perfect. It's like healing 101. Like, mm -hmm. somebody hits you, you hit them back. Hit them back, yeah. And right now, I think it's really hurt, hurting hip-hop that it's so violent and it's so misogynist. I, I think more than ever, like, something about right now, it just feels it like feels it's, like like it's kind of like, like getting bubbling. Quick. Yeah, because it's been hard, man. Like 2020, 2021, we lost a lot of black men. It's a lot. We lost a lot of black men. A lot of middle-aged black men led the death category of COVID. Nobody's talking about this, but we lost a lot of black men. And for COVID, we lost a lot of black people. Yeah. A lot of black men died. Hmm. And for us to just continue the, the war that's going on in the streets, for the, the I don't know reason and put it on wax and the argument would be, well, they going through this, bro. Sensationalized, bro. Mm. Or if you got a 30 round clip, that's not legal in your city. You told on yourself. <laughs> but it's okay to tell on yourself now. So it's just a little weird, man. Yeah, uh, I love Trouble, crazy. man. RIP to Trouble mm. from Atlanta. If y'all ever get to hear the, the album they did with Mike Will and really get to dig into his lit in the lyrics, Man, it was really telling about, you know, T.I. came out with this where it's like, I'm on this right now, mm -hmm. but I ain't trying to be on this. Mm -hmm. I like that type of hood mm -hmm. in IGGA. Like, I like... Because it, you feel like it's honest, but it's also like, but I'm also trying to go somewhere. It's sustainable. It's real. Yeah. Every gangster that I know, dead or in jail. Mm -hmm. So what are we trying to keep it real for? One of those? So uh, the whole snitch thing is damaging, man. My people really be in the city on that. Mm. I'm like, bro, as soon as you get my bruh telling. <laughs> yeah. He don't FaceTime too much. He t like, you know, like this little, yeah. it's just like little telltales that, that allow you to know that it's not real, but then there's just like this thing. So hip hop is frustrating to me, but wow. I mean, it gave me self. Mm. Uh, when Jay was London, England, mm -hmm. south of France, anywhere between, you know, I'm like, <laughs> Konichi yeah. wild ladies when I'm out. I was basically studying every single thing Hope said. Yeah. Right? He was like the second dad. Yeah. I studied everything Scarface said and everything that I heard out of um, the South. And um, my one of my favorite uh, rappers is um, uh, Sugar Free out of Pomona. <laughs> Sugar Get free. your money while you boy. <laughs> and so I'm from where funk is from. Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. So a lot of people don't know that. Funk music is from Cincinnati, Cincinnati. and Dayton, Ohio. Yes, sir. People will have a clue walking around here crazy. Like, then funk's cousin, I really feel like little cousin is hip hop. Hmm. So the most music ever sampled in hip hop is funk. It's funk, of course. Biggie, I live by the funk. Yep. And wow. That's funk is not only just music, it's culture, it's the culture, way you talk, exactly. it's the way you dress. Style, yeah. Everything. So how for you live. how you live. So yeah. the way for funk to go to LA and, and California like it did was special. Mm -hmm. For it to go down to Brazil like it did. Brazilian funk code. Cold. For you know what I mean? Like yeah. for it to go to the Portuguese like that, have more Africans than we got. Mm -hmm. I just felt like it was the one. So I love my city. I love how the music has 
gone around the world by just samples. And I know that hip hop, although going through a rough period now, that is resilient because of the music history and, and yeah. the connection that we have to vibration, you know what I mean? When we return, Gerald picks up a camera and starts preserving aspects of our history. Wow, we're in season four of the Claim of Stories podcast, sponsored by our amazing partners at Vistaprint. And we're still on a mission to inspire and empower entrepreneurs of color to claim a seat at any table of their choosing. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you should know that Vista continues to be the best resource for print and design. They don't just print business cards, they print everything to help your business stand out. And when I say everything, I mean stickers, t-shirts, tote bags, mugs, and even snapback hats. Whatever you need, Vista can make it happen. So if you're looking for ways to help your small business stand out, think Vistaprint. Right now, new customers like you can get 20% off your next order of $75 or more, plus free standard shipping. Just use the code CLAIMASTORIES at checkout. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to the Claim of Stories podcast. So it's 2019, and Gerald starts to feel this tug towards home. Hearing stories of gentrification plaguing Black folks all over, Gerald wanted to do his best to understand how architecture played a role in our communities and unknowingly created a cultural preservation movement. It's that those early rides with my dad. Mm. Um, and you taking the back streets. Yeah. And you know, old people, they love to tell you what things were. Oh, they love to tell oh, you man, everything about it. I remember when that was it. this and that was this. And it was nothing like being with a super OG. Like, he, he held like a granddad's age. Mm. But I got to see him every day. Like, I got yeah. to be with him every day. So I like it, you know, him allowing me to be in the hood and be in the suburbs and, and not... I still, to this point, I don't have, like, I, I'm one-to-one -one in both of those places. And um, it's everywhere, like, you you in the architecture, you just don't yeah, know. Yeah, I love it. it. Like, no, yeah. Like, we all are, hmm. you know, in these buildings, in these spots, and they, and, and they hold so much um, energy. And so I remember I always talk about everybody had a building because when you would drive and long drive, oh, that's why I built it. That's, that's why I built it. <laughs> um, and so when I would be traveling, uh, and shout out to Amalu, uh, who I also work with mm -hmm. uh, on the music side. Like right before I started Hood Mid Century Modern, I just remember like in Guru, like we would just basically land in a town, mm -hmm. and you had a, you know, how you had sound check. Yeah, and yeah, you know, absolutely. And so I, we was always like, what can we get in between there? You know, sometimes strip clubs, sometimes you had like, oh, you like what else can we, we get into? What can gotta, we get into when we get in the city? Like, how do we? And again, shout out to like Master P and some of those old school hip hop guys that were, were like uh, Pimp C. Were like, yo, you gotta build relationships in these towns. Mm -hmm. You can't just go into town and go to a concert. Yeah. And so, like, I got to travel. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would carry a camera, and, mm -hmm. and I would just get busy with them. Mm -hmm. And when I started the account B, I was like, yo, there's nothing on the internet speaking like us. There's nothing on the internet even at the hood century right now. Like, where some kid who just really loves doors and, like, you know what I mean? And shout out to all of the people who were on Tumblr. So I wasn't on that, but... One day when I was walking up the street, I had, um, in 2019, I had stopped managing. Mm -hmm. And I remember going into these rooms, and I remember going with my clients, and the people after the birth, they'd be like, so what's up with you? <laughs> and 
I'm like, and I, but I didn't, I didn't yeah, put it together. Yeah. I knew who I was, but I wasn't, I just didn't kind of register that people were like, like, oh, that. you're a mad interesting cat. Mm -hmm. But I remember just thinking, so I hate this whole like, and where I'm from, and listen, this is like expletive loaded. So just like, y'all can bleep this out, whatever. Uh, I feel very liberated. <laughs> but you know how when other people know about stuff. Mm -hmm. So we were all talking about gentrification every dinner. Every, so yeah, 2018, yeah. 19, every city I go to, everybody. That's the conversation and about the neighborhoods are changing. Like, I got a Starbucks. Yeah, <laughs> on the and, corner. And, and it's type complaining. Like, yeah. I was like, man, I ain't no. Like, hmm. I ain't no, I'm not no soft dude. I'm not about to be pushed around. Y'all not about to move moms out of that mm. hood. Stop. And I remember just having that, that the intensity energy. about yeah. it, bro. I'm not about to get moved. Like, my people, like, we gotta, and so December of 19, I'm walking up the street and I'm like, the biggest assets in these neighborhoods, the biggest financial assets, and obviously the things that holds the most memories are buildings. Let yeah. me, let me get a grasp on and this. And value. And value. <laughs> so I walked up the street and I was like, man, I know, on my mom's street, there was three mid-century modern, hmm. like, homes. Mm -hmm. And they were like, I remember they were the different ones than all of the than other. Than all the other homes, yeah. And so I walked the street, and I'm just like, man, I'm about to take pictures of these. I'm going to call them, like, the hood mid-century joints. Hmm. And that's how, and then it, it ain't start all righteous like that. It just yeah. started like, bro, we got blind sides hmm. from this history of, like, not knowing. And it's these small things, and a lot of them are in the how the world is built and designed. Uh, intentionally, right? Yeah, it's a lot of the like, a lot of our blind sides are very dangerous for us to have right now. Mm. What I'm, are some of those blind sides you believe? Just like our disconnection from the cities that we live in for so long, mm. for our families have lived in them. Where do you live? Most of us, if we kind of was like giving it this energy, most of us twenty years ago would not probably have asthma. <laughs> Because a lot of us were position places that gave us asthma, mm -hmm. nothing else. Mm -hmm. Now, that position that gave us asthma, being next to this, uh, they call them like all these zones or whatever. Yeah. But being in this zone, then here come this influenza. Now our lungs not built up all because of our locale. All because of where we're located. Yeah. All because no, of that environment. That nobody was... ain't talking about this. Just because we relocated. Mm -hmm. So my big theory is that we don't know where we at. Hmm. So my whole thing, if people go, I just hope people don't come with the gloves with me, but I was like, yo, black people don't know where they at. So you ever like, you ever so have somebody be like, yo, meet me at the northwest corner. Oh my the northwest corner? <laughs> What's part of <laughs> or, or even like the whole architecture thing of like, do you see that? Or like they're seeing things that like maybe we, we, we just hadn't seen. And we have a really volatile relationship with these neighborhoods. But... I did figure out, like, man, we got to figure out where we are. Yeah. First. We could figure out where we are, because then I, that may help, like, yo, we actually need to be here. Because, mm. like, some of the stuff we fighting for are killing us. Mm. Hmm. So, like, some of the projects that we fighting for to keep up or keep it right, like, it's from there. So, shout out to Wenton Terrace and the whole uh, Zone 15 and some of these places. Zone 15 is where Nikki Giovanni and where Isley Brothers came from. Bro, when I tell you that for 75 years, there's been a police gun range in the neighborhood, and if it gets this silent on one of those days, all you hear is pop, 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 pop. Bro, that's terrible. 
That's horrifying. That's the environmental racism that I'm talking about. Mm. In combat, they call it this neighborhood. Procter & Gamble's soap that was called the Irish soap bar. You know mm -hmm. that, that Irish soap? Mm -hmm. Bro, that factory polluted generations of black and brown people, bruh. And to me, it was just a project that we grew up near. Yep. We would go down there, play football. Yeah, we, our babysitter lived down there. Bro, everybody from there in the next 20 years, you're going to read about cancers, leukemias, asthmas. Bro, it, and it's all because of our locale. So hmm. once I started Hood, I yeah. started to figure that out. Like, yeah. oh. You were like, this is more so to you, more so about like preservation and open up the aperture of like, let's be intentional and, and understand where we're at. Speaking towards that though, you have an interesting strategy with kind of how you share. But before I, we get into that, I think the question to me that comes to mind is, why do you feel some of these things need to be preserved? Mm. So that's the other thing of us like starting over like and over and over. Like every other generation. Every other generation, every generation. Right now, I'm gonna say probably about 50% of the people that's in this studio, y'all phone, y'all ain't got no more room for y'all pictures. So that was like that was my one of my big things. Is like I feel like we there was a digital divide that happened. Mm -hmm. So now we kind of really not keeping our stuff. There's been a lot of displacement happen. And then obviously in these cities, we're often at the lowest ends yeah. of the cities where we're flood prone. And I fear this, like, not being able to really identify ourselves because we don't really have stuff that identifies. So that, that, that identifies us. That was really one. Yeah. So one of the things I was doing was I was taking these pictures and I was kind of vibing with it. And somebody hit me up and bro, like, yo, bro, this is a form of preservation. And I didn't really consider it. I was like, and my mom is a collector and my dad from the old school. So just anything that we keep from him was going to be a relic. And then when you talk about these hoods and the gentrification conversation, probably like the second or third thing is like how that basketball court that you mm -hmm. have is no like It was like a nostalgic moment that I saw missing and I was like, yo, we need to really like think about preservation. Mm -hmm. And like right now, bro, all of this, we said it at dinner, all of the great things that everybody's doing, it don't matter if y'all don't save it. Yeah, because it was just... It's uh, moving way it'll be faster lost. now. Right. It'll be lost. History will forget it, right? You think about even the way we share now mm -hmm. is through devices and apps that are designed for us to move on. To keep it moving. In what like you a got couple tomorrow? seconds. What you got tomorrow. Yeah. And so Not I, even tomorrow. Same day. What you got later. Like. <laughs> yeah. So I really feel like our identity is wrapped around our archive. Mm -hmm. And so my dad's archive with his brother... I didn't ever get to meet his brother, um, Henry. He ended up going to Pratt from the Vietnam War, went to Pratt from Cincinnati, moved to New York in yeah. the 60s, 70s. Yeah. Like, that was unheard of for black folk and his life and uh, got cut short in New York. Mm -hmm. And so all I really have of his memories are these beautiful pictures that he took of interiors. Huh. And right, so it, it draws these massive connections spiritually that you wouldn't even know if you don't have that, that picture. Right. And bro, I'm telling you, it's an epidemic of it. What's happening is that black and brown folks don't have our pictures. We don't even have videos, mostly because most of the times, 40s and 50s, there were no video, black people didn't have video cameras. Whenever video cameras came out, I think it was like mid 50s, 60s. Whenever like this moving image came out, black people weren't the home versions of those. Mm. We didn't have a lot. So you're not even gonna see any of that unless it was news, news, news outlets, right? Then what's happening in Atlanta? 
San Francisco, Cincinnati, Cleveland, it happened in Paris already, mm. is black folks that were integrated into cities mm -hmm. are now being moved out. moved out. But guess who has their archives? Who? The city. That's another topic that people are going to have to talk about because it's like, they got our shit. Huh. The National History Museum, and I mean, blessed in D.C., I think it's probably one of the best. It's owned by the Smithsonian. Hmm. And so oftentimes I really feel like white people have all our shit. We don't even own ours. That's weird. I'm it's not weird. It's and wrong. It's, and it's not even right. And it's not even conspiracy laden or something that we can't walk out of this meeting right now or this interview right now and start to work at. We can. We can. We just, I really feel like we have to know. The archive too reminds me of like research. I think research reminds people of like school. But the archive is where the creativity happens. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of brands like Nike, shouts out to Virgil who, I just adore. And like you could see Virgil worked with archive as his, oh, as his totally. guy. Oh, totally. Totally. You know what I'm saying? He was a student. He's a student of, of what he may not have been able to experience. Mm -hmm. Like, we often need to go back. And so, uh, I love uh, blackarchive.co on Instagram mm -hmm. and work with them a little bit. I just really love the creative mm -hmm. approach to archive. When you think about what you want to share, maybe how you go about what you're going to share, like, what's the process in that? <laughs> what's the approach? Like, is it thematic? Is it just like you were driving or visiting somewhere in town and you were like, Oh, that's dope. So I want to. So that's what. That. So that's the first. I'm a filler, mm. and so, and we a lot of us are mm -hmm. past like a layer of two of whatever, and so I really, you know, when I started Hood Century, I was trying to re-architect. I was trying to understand if, if this is all by intent. You remember like this old saying, "Everything's by design." Yeah, I used to think that was like BS. <laughs> I used to think that that was like some, like, you know, my uncle who has the theories, like, oh, okay, yeah. But then finding out that it was, like, everything was, like, intensely, intensely yeah. Someone thought about Somebody it. Somebody thought about it. Mm -hmm. That's when I started to be like, all right, cool, let me think about these modern styles. When I started to, so like, let me see if I'm introducing them to just mid-century modern residential homes. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can get them with the Art Deco, because I know that the Art Deco is actually the post offices that you go to every day, or, mm -hmm. like, the Streamline Modern is actually... Um, just a Greyhound station. Huh. So that's what I've been up to. Like Memphis Design Group. Oh, the Martin Lawrence logo. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. You posted that series. That was crazy. You feel me? Yeah, that was insane. Bro, that blew my mind. Yeah. And then once you see it, bro, not Can't only are you not going to unsee it, but then you see more. You see more of it. You see the influence of it. You're so like, now you be like, oh, this whole part of this generation is Afro, what I would call it, an Afro a Memphis Afro Revival, Afro, mm -hmm. that I made up the name. <laughs> but that Martin and um, Do The Right Thing, black people loved that design in the 90s. Loved it. And then now you see it's coming back. Mm -hmm. And so I just think feeling is how I do it. And then also I'm thinking about the lives that we lived and what the things we like. And then I just look at the design of it and I'd be like, oh, that's actually Art Deco. So then I really came up with this theory that like Art Deco and Streamline Modern, we actually lean a lot towards. Mm. And then come to find out, we basically traveled in buses and yep. on trains. Yep. And so that's probably makes, like, yeah, because that's makes what up we a lot of our stuff. We were immersed in. Huh. So. Mm. I love like that type of a world. I don't like when people think I'm an architect guy because what I'm doing. <laughs> what you mean? What you... Because it's like this. 
I started this thing called Things We've Made. Mm. And it basically is a language. I'm calling it an agency because it gives agency. Mm-hmm. But the, the reason be I thought about it is because it's like a bunch of things going on. Let's say mental health. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody to this day using the language that we know to use with mental health with us. The mental health language is obviously 90s. Yeah. White folks. Yeah. The Buddha with the thing. Man, ugly design. If you look on YouTube right now, hmm. right now you look healing frequencies. They have one aesthetic. They don't have two. Hmm. They have one aesthetic. All of these videos. But I'm like, why? Hmm. And so things we made is taking a 10-year approach hmm. at big issues that are facing black and brown people. Hmm. The first one was housing. Yeah. And, how, and that's hood century. Mm-hmm. Now you see how when I started, it wasn't that that wasn't the goal. Yeah, but it but was now, it was the energy. But things evolve, right? They grow. And so now I'm like, all right, we look at that. I was able to get some land in, in Ohio, so we looking at food. Mm. We still not languaging food right. Mm. So I'm thinking that an agency that looks at the language mm. via research. Mm-hmm. So it's like, bro, who tells you about eating good in the hood? And they be like, oh, my mom, da, 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 da. all right, cool. What you be telling me? Oh, for real? Like, nobody's doing that in no city. <laughs> Learning how to talk about these things. If you say eat healthy to somebody, that sounds dry already. And it also doesn't communicate what that means. Like, and it also doesn't meet me where I'm at. One of the things about these institutions, and I don't know what the hell happened. This goes for black intellects as well as, like, everybody. And white folks is like... What language are we, why are we doing this? I talked a lot last night with y'all about, like, what's your intent? We think that everybody's intention is similar because mm-hmm. of our skin. Cause, like, what's the intent of this project? Mm-hmm. The intent of Hood Century is to make it so that we can understand it palatable and then maybe we can experience we like experience that. It. And so, B, I'm about to start an archival project next that looks to be one of the first studios and agencies for our archives. So the Funk mm. Museum right now, yeah. on the ground, yeah. is not open. Mm. So they might need some strategy. Absolutely. Right? Maybe they should be touring. Mm. Maybe they need to do this, this, but there's no agency for that. So that's the next project that's that the next project that you under there. About. And I'm giving myself 10 years and hopefully we can move some things by then. So it's kind of yeah. like an old school, it's well, a slow I, but I, I love it though, because in, again, like we talked about in the conversation today is faster, 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 faster. Where do you find the confidence? And maybe not even the confidence is the right word. Why are you so calm with a 10-year project? Why are you okay with it? I do see a lot of the civic projects take time. A lot of the research projects take time, right? And what I would do as a manager and as a pseudo manager entrepreneur is I would do too much. You see how my interests are wide. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like really to really penetrate into really languages, bro, language so cold, you could tell somebody off from where I'm from by like the smallest detail. <laughs> and so as I'm building something that's a language-based tool, yeah. I gotta be, we gotta be real clear on like, nah, that's giving this, that, and that. <laughs> so the 10 year, I think is just, it gives it enough time right. to like put this. So now, Hood Century exists in the world now. Right, right. So somebody is right at home right now, like, yo, I wanna make this better. 
Yeah. I want to make this more of this, or I'm going to do something like that. And that's what it exists, it exists for. Yeah. So you, you got to give it a little time to brew mm -hmm. and understand it. So I, I think the 10 years is really great. And I would love to do it in a more, I mean, it's urgent. Yes. But it's also so new. Like, thinking about Hood Century as agency as well, mm -hmm. we're going to be growing into an active firm on one side and an active media company on mm -hmm. one side, the actual firm that, that gives agency to the city plan and the architect stuff. Yeah, it takes time. It takes time. Yeah. It and takes I, I time. Think, but I think it's great to have that honesty and also have an approach where you're like, yeah, I'm not trying to trying to rush this. I'm not trying to create some false timeline that's not going to be achievable. Like, mm -hmm. 10 years is what I said. If it happens before, great. Right. And if it happens after, good, too, because, like, too. there's going to be there's bumps. There's like, going to be bumps and developments along the way. There's going to be bumps, man. Like, one of the big things about where Hood Century is right now is I never wanted this to be a, just an Instagram account. <laughs> I want to get out and be actionable. Yeah, and tangible so, things. Yeah, so like 2020 like and 21 for real. Yeah. They really bodied that. Mm. And this is the beginning of the third year and it feels like year one because I get to be out you here. You get to be outside. No, it really does. Like you think about that, those years were blurs. Just like everything was digital. Most of us were in rooms creating, mm -hmm. right? We weren't even be able to engage with exactly. one another. So we didn't know so what the world it's was. So it's mad young. So, so it feels different now. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, when I think about you, it spoke about the digital world, right? Mm -hmm. Specifically with, with Hood Century. But you're also putting things in the physical world. Like, talk to me about, like, the, the flashcards, right? Like, yeah. that's a tangible medium, right? Yeah. And so what was that about? Like, yeah. right, that was getting outside of this digital realm. Mm -hmm. What was that about to you? So, I mean, it was a Montessori play, mm. right? Like, everybody learns different. Yeah. Coffee table energy. I love where, yeah. first of all, I love where y'all coffee tables is at now. <laughs> it seems like people are, like, really utilizing that as an entertainment point uh, for people. And so I wanted to do that as something that was dumb, accessible. Yeah. If you ever, and I meant to bring the cars, and I meant to bring... Some teas for y'all, but I'm gonna. I you got to ship them. I got you. Or I have to come visit. <laughs> yeah, 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 come visit. Where the cars on on one side, you got like a kid like drawing mm -hmm. of a style. We chose 16 modern styles. Wow. But there's many more, mm -hmm. and we just chose 16 that we would see in the hood. And then on the back, we all of the definitions are like I'm talking to you. Yeah. And people just. Love them. I sold so many of them, man. I, me and consumerism kind of like, you know, we, we've been it's a, beefing it's a little a, bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a tension point, sounds like. Yeah, so I, wanna, I want to do more. Um, luckily, with a couple of partnerships and publishing as well, like, shout out to Scholastics too. A couple of partnerships, I'm going to be able to like, I don't have a Scholastics deal yet, so if anybody's working with Scholastics. <laughs> um, I want to be able to do more ways that we can engage with the with like flashcards. Yeah. So we are dropping furniture. I wanted to talk about this a minute. We're dropping furniture flashcards um, this summer. Yo. And that way, you can kind of like, yo, that chair grandma had for a minute, that was actually this. Yeah, yeah, you I recognize. Like, I can identify yeah. now have language to put towards. It's yeah. not just the chair. Exactly. It's um, know this. Your Hood. Yeah. We're dropping some Know Your Hood cards so that we can get familiar with other hoods hmm. that's in other uh, in cities. Because we talked about this, but... I was I was asking myself why I had never been to South Los Angeles. Hmm. Like I've been to Los Angeles once a time. I was asking myself like I was thinking like I became a part of the loop. I was like, oh no! <laughs> like why had not ever been to like down in, in uh, Lamert area? And then my homegirl was like, cause you couldn't go. 
Mm. And I remember like all of these scary stories. Yeah, about, you're like, why couldn't I go? Because of some stories that I yeah, heard. Yeah, so these cards I really feel like could be some of the first like very, you know, when you look at Atlanta, the Atlanta card, and you could actually look at the neighborhoods. Mm. Like, yo, this is Corla Heights. This is what this, is this neighborhood is. Because we, we be talking too broad. Yeah, like, talk, like where you from, and and it almost means meaningless. Sky. It almost is meaningless. You know what I mean? Because yeah. someone will say, it, but it, the conversation doesn't go beyond it that, right? Go nowhere. So you don't know what it is. You have nothing yeah. to really like bring it to life. I really like rivers, so river creeks and neighborhoods now. So that's why I be like, what neighborhoods you from? <laughs> like where you from? Where you at? Like what river by you? Like yeah. that's the source. You know what I mean? Like talk to me or something. And people's identity usually are connected to those neighborhoods mm-hmm. and the cities. Mm-hmm. So what side you from? You go ask somebody from Detroit. You can't just ask, are you from Detroit? You gotta ask what side. Cause then that's gonna let you know who you're dealing with, bruh. Yeah. It's real rap. Real, 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 for sure. You learn a lot more. And so I'm really Especially into Especially when now. you know the city. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Where do you see Hood Centrum going? Right? Like, man, what does what's success look like? Hood Century for the kids, man. Mm. Um, we having fun with it. Yeah. But Hood Century for the kids. And so I want us to be the people walking with our white friends. Like, yeah, look at that. Art deck, man, that was built in 1981. And, and, and tell the architect, like, I want us to know more about where we at. Yeah. And so I see Hood Century being a media company that spreads out a little bit and becomes like a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of resources around living mm-hmm. that I think black people need that there's no site to go to right now yeah. to kind of find more out about where you at. And so um, Hood Century, we're going to be launching a website soon that <laughs> uses a Google Map API. Oh, fact. So you just look like you're on Google Map. And we just add your culture to it. We have uh, tele- television or radio. And then you can just be like, yo, this is your Portland. This is so. Uh-huh. It's not a greatly new concept. I just feel like uh, Google Map is our number one directional tool right now. And I just wanted to throw some culture on it. Oh, you don't use Apple Maps? Man, that's. I can't even speak of Apple Maps. <laughs> but Apple Maps, oh, I, it's so funny because I talked to Apple Maps. Oh, word. They called, it was one of the first people to call me. Oh, and guess what, what I said? You was like, Man, I don't like your maps. Apple. <laughs> <laughs> they was like, well, maybe you could change that. Nah, with this budget. <laughs> um, you know, respectfully. Respectfully. Respectfully, yeah. because they do, like Apple Maps is doing more with culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. I want Hood Century to be a, a real historic preservation society. And so... A lot of our next movement is going to be about us just like, mm. you know, uncovering some of the hood legends that yeah. are from that great, are from great parts places. of Shreveport, great parts of Oakland, mm. and connecting the African-American diaspora, you know what to I mean, that. to that point, yeah. You know, one thing I, I thought that was super interesting that you said, and I want to connect it to a, a quote from a Vogue interview of yours, but you were saying Hood Centuries for the Kids, right? Mm-hmm. And in this Vogue interview, you talked about there's a pipeline issue in design and architecture, mm-hmm. right? What's the feeling that that pipeline could look like, and mm-hmm. and how long do you think that would take? It's, it luckily it's up on us. Mm. Luckily it's up on us. You see all of the music videos now. I see black people like looking and engaging more with design right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is entrepreneurship, digital entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Like you YouTube page, you gotta kind of like kind of want your stuff to look good. Um, TikTok, you kind of want to have your stuff set up, right? So I really like where it's going. Mm -hmm. And Sean Brown, 
uh, designer uh, out of Toronto. Just a lot of people that are like designing furniture. A lot of people are doing really dope. Yeah. Uh, Shannon Maldonado out of Philly. Yeah. Like there's a there's a lot of pockets of yeah. things that like you're right. There's a lot. Popping there's something up. happening. So yeah. I, I'm excited to see. Um, what comes of that? There's also a land buying trend where mm -hmm. people out are getting like that. You bought land. <laughs> I bought land. And there's also a thing where I feel like generationally, the 20, the late 20s and the 30s are dealing with their parents. Yeah. And like whether their parents are transitioning or their parents or need some help or people moving back home or doing, I feel like there's something about the childhood home or about where we find our peace yeah. that uh, happened during 2020 that I feel like a lot of people was like, yeah, I actually need to make sure that I even building up my home and building up my thing. And so, because there's a big responsibility of us that I don't think we knew we had of the legacy of our family from a like, yo, you gotta, you gonna keep the house. If you sell it, and that's cool too if you sell the house, but just make sure that you, that y'all have something that still keeps that memory and the energy alive of what took place, oh, the that. significance of it to yeah. your family and your legacy, yeah. right? It's, I mean, it's tough. Like, we talked a little bit about this. It's like, it's sometimes it, it's hard for us to hold on to things because we feel like we've never had much. And mm -hmm. so if there's a monetary gain, I'm trying to get the monetary gain versus necessarily keeping the sentimental value. Long term. But it's also not even mm -hmm. just sentimental. Like, to keep something like that, that value grows more over Man, time than taking that money out of the ground. You see with Champion, the brand Champion, mm -hmm. you see the brand Carhartt mm -hmm. Whip. Mm -hmm. Carhartt Whip now more worth more than Carhartt. You see uh, Car Kanai, you see Peli Peli coming back, you see Averex coming back. If we can withstand some things, mm -hmm. which has been hard because of the generational wealth, then the thing is going to come back to us, what, like twice mm -hmm. or three times? In one lifetime? Yeah, one so lifetime. something that we thought was cool when we was young going to come back to it's us two, come back. three times. Yeah. Just kind of being cool with Patient. that, knowing that. Yeah. Right? And having maybe some partnerships set up to withstand that mm -hmm. seven or ten years where it's not popping. It's not as hard. Yeah. Tony Shellman, who started uh, Mecca, and the Nietzsche mm -hmm. is a family friend, and we talk about it all the time. It's like, bro, he's like, I needed a big cash out. Mm. But here comes Mecca. Like, here comes the, the eligibility back. for yeah. Anissa and Mecca to be kind of... Back in. And so I'm really interested in black folks and our intellectual property. Mm. The preservation bit is actually that big intellectual property bid. The Absolutely. MoMA is a cool museum, but they make their money <laughs> with people who are dying, artists who are dying and their estates ain't right. Mm. <laughs> when I say ain't right, they're not able to support the artists the past artists. post mortem. Right, right. And so they go to places like the MoMA. Before you know it, they gonna have all our stuff and they're gonna be operating. So I hope that with the knowledge of self, with the knowledge of space, we actually be like, yo, no, that's going to be actual valuable and next. But be one one other big thing that I'm noticing and that I want to move towards more with Hood Century is infrastructure. Tell me more. I don't know if you I don't know if you've been hearing a lot of like the Russian attack on Ukraine's mm. infrastructure. Mm. Not into the weeds. So they you, they use it as a, like a war like strategy. Mm. Is to like, yo, we're not going to kill no more people. We're going to make it so those people can't live. Wow. And if you look at the way that the United States built infrastructure in the early, in the mid 20s, early 30s, 30s to the 40s, right? Our first ever like massive infrastructure bill was called the New Deal, mm -hmm. right? And it built all of the highways. highways yep. It built all of that. And it was, you know, obviously built in design. 
And a lot of us are still living in a lot of that housing. Yeah. Which is just a crime. Yeah. And so now you got this new infrastructure bill that passed in early Feb of 2021, 2022. It's called the Build Back Better bill. Hmm. The most money we've ever spent on anything. On anything. And it's a new infrastructure deal. And we don't know about it. So the first 100 years of our world was built by mostly white people, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, Europeans that were in the modernism era. Now it's another 100 years that's up for building. And since we don't know about it, they about to build it again. Yeah. Right now, hmm. it's like trillions of dollars out if we become aware that we can actually build and be building in our neighborhood and be working. So I really feel like there's going to be a trend after this housing and furniture thing mm-hmm. to like continue to build the neighborhood. So hmm. taking that Nipsey approach, Issa Rae has an amazing opportunity yeah. to take her infrastructural bill in her coffee shops mm-hmm. and then those spots that people are living in up top. Yep. All right, let's community land trust that, mm. right? Like, let's do some really gnarly things yeah. that could then be case studies for to doing more. So I think our next thing, if we want to survive, because mm. we about to be making cities in the suburbs. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's happening. So, like, how can we get into, like, infrastructurally in, into minded? That. Man, that's beautiful, though. Like, that it, that's cool? like a, It's like a huge, like, unlock, right? Yeah. Like, a, a different thing for us to think about, because we don't... Uh, typically have access to that type of information. But there are things that are coming in, like folks are sharing information like you. Earn Your Leisure cast is Earn sharing information, right? Lene is sharing information. Lene, like we're, yes. we're starting to have these things and these moments happening. My last question of the interview um, is one I love to ask mm-hmm. everyone. And you know, our mission is, is truly to cultivate community and inspire the generation, mm-hmm. whether it is ours, our peers, and, and coming up to claim a seat. And so I wanted to ask you, for those coming up, those creatives that look at you, look what you've done with Hood Century Modern and the other things that, that you've done as well, mm-hmm. what advice would you have for them on this journey as they're trying to figure it out, trying to find their purpose, trying to find their thing? What advice would you offer them? Yo, after game, do your own thing. That was Gerald Cooper, founder of Hood Century Modern. Find out more about Gerald and get access to all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like today's episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to rate and review us. We want more black and brown creatives to hear these stories, and that comes from your support. You can stay up to date with all things Clayma by following us on Instagram at Clayma Stories. Or you can reach out via email at hello at ClaymaStories.com. Our show this week is produced by Pervy Patel, Amiri Rose, Natalie Yazzie, Jericho Trim, PRPL Productions, and DB Podcasts. Original music provided by Adrian Anaya and vocals by Rosella. Special thanks to BJ Fergozo, Jordan Dinwiddie, Saina Clark, Clint Blaine, and Damian Mitchell. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to the Claim of Stories podcast, powered by Vista. <laughs> <laughs>